Hello, 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 and welcome to the second Sunday of Advent, or whenever you're listening to it. But that's when I'm recording this. Uh, the redheaded preacher from St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. Uh, welcome to the second Sunday of Advent, December 4th, 2022. And uh, Rich Schneider is our lector today, as well as our vocal soloist. Um, I didn't realize that at the time, but I was just following the lecture schedule, and you certainly handle everything with grace and skill. Um, the sermon title you've read from the text, I believe, that accompanies this, The Good News and Fruit of Repentance. And uh, this sermon uh, certainly was one of those that benefited from getting a, an understanding late at night and writing it down before going to bed. Uh, I've had I have those occasionally where something strikes me, and that actually was the whole, the what was going on in the world, you know, several days ago about the, you know, Yi and uh, this other fellow from another network that were, you know, proudly declaring their, you know, love of Hitler or their uh, anti-Semitism. And in the other fellow's case, um, it's truly an, a, not a Democrat in the small d, and nor, but that's not biblical so much as being anti-women and, uh, you know, white supremacist all over. So uh, that kind of told me where to go at the end of the sermon, talking about bearing fruit worthy of repentance, because the church has kind of presumed that this stuff's going to blow over. And that needs to be uh, repented from, as well as that uh, we need to think that we don't need to say anything about it, who do not agree with these uh, theologies of hatred and exclusion. Now I've given you a little bit of the sermon, but uh, I'm giving you really some background on how it got, how that part got written. Not the whole sermon, and it's a little shorter because of communion. So I will stop there. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you on the other side. Our first reading is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. These words, heard especially during Advent and sometimes on Christmas Eve, speak of the characteristics of the Messianic King. The opening reference to Jesse is to Jesse, the father of David affirming the Jewish belief that the Messiah is descended from the line of David. We also heard this at the Vesper service last Sunday evening. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with, his, with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. 
the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwellings shall be glorious. This ends the reading from Isaiah. Our epistle lesson is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. Paul encourages them to stay steadfast and to welcome one another as God welcomed the Gentiles into the covenant of Jesus. Paul wrote, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, as, just as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will those who are able please rise for the reading of the gospel lesson. On this second Sunday of Advent, we renew our acquaintance with John the Baptist. We are now in what is called year A of the lectionary, so many of this year's gospel readings will come from Matthew. Matthew's telling of the appearance of John is chapter 3, Verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing 
their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here ends the reading of Matthew and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and faithful understanding of this God's holy word. Most church parking lots are vast open spaces. Not ours, because it's the property of the village of Skokie. It's filled weekdays with cars of employees. Half the Sundays of the year, the farmer's market also keeps it from being open. But typically, typically, church parking lots sit mostly empty, except on Sunday mornings. Think of them as dry, hard wilderness areas. If John the Baptist appeared today, he wouldn't be speaking inside the church building. No, he would stand on the pavement of the parking lot and cry out, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. No climate control sanctuary for John. No soft seats, carpeting, or cushioned fine old pews that are over 100 years old in which we sit. For John, repentance begins in the parking lot. Well, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that John was the one who the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Well, this sounds more like traffic engineering than theology. John has come to prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And John is trying to get the people to go the right way, to move in the correct direction. If they're ignoring directional arrows or entering through an exit, he turns them around. And that's what repentance means. It's an about face, a 180 degree turn, a change of heart and mind. We know this. So when we hear John, as we always do during Advent, it's repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you are going the wrong way, turn yourself around. Repent. When John first came on the scene, he wasn't wearing a yellow parking vest and carrying traffic control wands. No, he wore clothing of hair 
with a leather belt around his waist, and his food, mmm, was locusts and wild honey. He had a lot of heavy traffic to deal with because the residents of Jerusalem, Judea, and the region around the Jordan River were coming to him. There was a mass of people. Matthew tells us that they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. This is where some of us would like John to stay, in the parking lot. I've sometimes said that prophets like John are necessary, but not someone we'd invite to a party or a gathering of close friends. We know his message. Repent. Confess. Be baptized. Ooh. Really? But let's look at this in a whole other light. Good things were happening at the Jordan and in the Jordan River. Repent is a hopeful word in any day, says Presbyterian pastor Chandler Brown Stokes. He said to proclaim repentance is to say that change is possible. A life headed off, the headed off the road need not end at the bottom of a cliff. And a life at the bottom of the cliff need not remain there. I like that. Yes, repentance is a hopeful word because it says that change is possible. That's very good news today, and it is good news any day, as the good reverend said. If you or I are headed off the road, if we're drifting off from the way, veering off the straight path, we have the opportunity to turn around. With God's help, change is possible. Now the idea of returning to God, which is another way to talk about repentance, is returning. The idea of returning to God could be an odd one for those who are no stranger to Jesus and maybe long-serving members of a community of faith. Some folks may think that they have never really left God or veered off that straight path. With sympathy, I would suggest that this is a place where rigorously honest self-evaluation, coupled with humility, and maybe talking with some others who know you very well or who know me very well, could be a check. Some others might perceive a return to God as trying to rediscover or relive a spiritual high they once enjoyed. One of my late clergy colleagues, Phyllis Kenline, once quipped that some folks, and she kind of singled out Baptists, but you don't have to be Baptist, had a special conversion experience or a spiritual high, and then they spend the rest of their lives trying to recapture that. And others may have no problem admitting, at least to themselves, if they have drifted from God. But they also have a list of rationales and self-justifications for doing so. In that case, I again humbly suggest revisiting that list of rationales or self-justifications and perhaps come cleaner about it if you were able to make that about face and come back, getting that course correction. Was it God's fault? 
So this is still good news. Repentance is. It is still about the call, the invitation even, and especially of the possibility of change with God's help. It's part of grace. It's a gift. Well, where might you or I see a need for spiritual change in direction in our life, if any? Especially as it relates to Jesus. Are there priorities that need rearranging? Habits that need picking up or putting down? Is John's preaching a message of hope for you too or me too? As Reverend Stokes said, a life headed off the road need not end at the bottom of the cliff. A life at the bottom of the cliff need not remain there. Things can change. And that's repentance, a change. John knew that a turnaround was needed for groups as well as individuals. That's why he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were coming for baptism, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance? He told them that their family connection to Father Abraham was not going to save them because God could use stones, perhaps even gravel from the parking lot, to raise up children to Abraham. Instead, the Pharisees and the Sadducees needed to chop down every tree in their lives that was not bearing good fruit. Or maybe the trees within Sadduceeism or Pharisaism that were not bearing good fruit. So what exactly does, does this mean, to bear fruit worthy of repentance? Arlette Benoit Joseph, an Episcopal priest, says that, and I quote, it means that our lives reflect a lifestyle, action, or, and, a lifestyle, action, and choice pattern which are consistent with having repented of sin. It means that our actions, again, a quote, our actions make a declaration against the destructive things of this world in favor of aligning ourselves with the beautiful things of the kingdom of God. A lifestyle, action, and choice pattern which are consistent with having repented and a declaration against the destructive things of this world. Fruit worthy of repentance. A lifestyle, an action, and a choice pattern. A declaration against the destructive things of this world. As the New Living Translation of the Bible lays it out, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Well, that's a challenge for us as individuals and a challenge for us as groups. John wants us to show that we have turned to God in our personal actions and our congregational actions or ministries that may not be a congregation but a ministry under the banner of the cross. And that's why repentance begins in the parking lot. Remember, repentance is a hopeful word because it says that change is possible. Demonstrate that change by declaring against the destructive things in our world in favor of aligning ourselves with the reign and the realm and the values of God. 
That sounds inviting as well. Imagine getting good vibes from a message calling us to repent or to return, the message of hope, and to prove it, to make that declaration, to demonstrate that change. Last week, there was national media coverage of anti-Semitic and, in one fellow's case, anti-freedom, anti-woman, and white supremacist rhetoric repeated over several platforms over time. One of the two used to hold so big so-called church services. The media commented on whether or how the leaders of the political party these men affiliate with did or did not denounce their comments. Well, insofar as some of the purveyors of hate speech and bald-faced bigotry, not necessarily those two, wrap some of white supremacist or anti-Semitic, even anti-women language in conjunction with the word Christian, it calls on us to speak against it against as Christians. There are so many young people and older who have little to no understanding now of Jesus or the ideals of his church, that there may be no filter telling them to disregard language that makes them think dudes like that represent Christianity. That's what they hear. That's what's sensational. So it hits the media. I think that you and I would like to believe this is not necessary. But as I say, lots of people's impressions of what our faith stands for is misshapen by media who follow the most extreme headline or a-block worthy misrepresentations of the Jesus movement. It is up to us to repent from such presumptions that the center will hold and our relative silence and bear fruit like speaking up when our faith of love and justice and humility and compassion, welcome and community is twisted into something totally unrelated to the good news of Jesus Christ. In closing, one way we do so is continuing to live out our faith of welcome and hospitality and let people know about it. We don't have a big media platform, but to let people know about it. Paul laid it out in Romans. Our passage says to the church, and it's easy to have missed it because there is a lot in that Romans passage. He says to the church, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When the Open and Affirming Committee watched the webinar, ONA and the Bible, that was the opening quote on screen. When churches walk the talk about being open to and affirming of persons who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer slash questioning, and now also intersex and asexual, because God created all of us. And touched by grace, we follow the command to love one another and welcome one another as Jesus loves all of us. That's a statement backed up by attitudes and practices. Folks will only know if we speak about it. 
when the time is right. That that Christianity, compare it to the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, there's quite a difference. He's talking about love and welcoming and breaking barriers, not resetting old ones. So what I, the, the bearing the fruit worthy of repentance, this is not just tolerance or passive acceptance or a stiff welcome the next time somebody comes in wearing a feather boa. No. It is hospitality and a genuine welcome. Glad you're here. There's a place for you here. This is a community that is fallible, but also grounded in love, grounded in faith, grounded in service, in Jesus Christ, who welcomed all of us. That's a fruit we can bear. And if we slide away, we can repent because there's the possibility of getting back on track with the realm of God. We can live again that declaration against the destructive things of this world in favor of aligning ourselves with the beautiful things of the kingdom of God. Amen. That was a sermon that I felt I could have uh, preached longer on, but I'm glad that I have a manuscript to limit me um, because that's what I need. Uh, I went off on a couple of uh, verbal tangents anyway that weren't in the manuscript, like the reference to the feather boa. That's not what I wrote, but it was in my head. It came out when I was giving the sermon a once-over practice. And uh, the other thing I want to lift up is that I realized after I said something that I might have been implying, when I said the center will not hold, if somebody thought that I meant that the church would not survive, I don't believe that. Um, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I believe that the church is eternal on earth and in heaven. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, the center about everyone kind of thinking that this is the way it is, and it's kind of the overall majority points of view about what Christianity is in a, in a nutshell, uh, a very big nutshell. You know, I'm just starting to wonder if, if that is, uh, if hatred and, and uh, a bigotry is going to become the new center somehow, uh, which does not mean that the church would fall. Uh, so, those are a couple of thoughts that I wanted to share at, at the end after having preached the message. Once again, thank you for listening. And may God bless you. And may God bless your day. Bye. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.